Thank you very much. Um, what a funny um, story, uh, an essay actually from a seven-year-old girl. Um, so this seven-year-old girl, she, was, uh, she wrote this essay at school. Uh, the school at the time were doing a project on what you're thankful for. So on the first day of the project, the teacher went round asking the children what animals they were thankful for. And when it eventually got to this little girl, her response was fried chicken. <laughs> the, t- the teacher, so this is what the, the girl read. She said, the, 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 the teacher asked everyone in class, what animal are we thankful for? When it came to my turn, I said fried chicken. The teacher said that wasn't funny, but I think she was wrong because everyone else was laughing. I went home that night and I told my mum and dad what had happened. They had always told me that I should be honest. And I was being honest with the teacher. Fried chicken is my favourite animal. I told my dad and he said, the teacher's probably a vegetarian. They love animals. She said, I love animals very much too. I like pork, I like beef and I like fried chicken. (laughs) Dad said, okay, I don't think that's quite what, what she's talking about. Anyway, the teacher sent me to see the headmaster. The headmaster laughed too and then told me not to do it again. The next day, the teacher asked, what is our favourite live animal? They went round the class and eventually it came to me and it was my turn. And I said, chicken. The teacher said, why? I said, because you can fry chicken. I got sent back to the headmaster again. (laughs) He laughed again and told me not to do it again. (laughs) I don't understand. My parents told me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't seem to like it when I'm honest. (laughs) Anyway, the next day, the teacher asked us a person that we're thankful for. When it came to my turn, I said, Colonel Saunders. (laughs) Guess where I am now. Come on, let's say it like we mean it. I am a child of God. So I am entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I'm ready to listen to all God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by His Word. Amen. Come on, let's do this thing, yeah? Let me ask you a question. What are your routines? What do you do in the morning? I was thinking about this. I, I have, I'm quite a routine person, so in the morning, the first thing I'll do is I'll go into the bathroom, do the kind of stuff you do in the bathroom in the morning, and then I'll weigh myself. I do that, and then generally I weigh myself every morning. And then I, I get to the balcony, I go to the balcony, and I will shout down the stairs. Yeah, well, the, the landing. Sorry, the landing. Why am I saying the balcony? Yeah, the landing. <laughs> My wife's shouting at me, the balcony. No, no, no. I'll <laughs> oh, stop interrupting. Do you mind? It's my preach. <laughs> I'll get to the landing and then I'll shout down the stairs, Vicky, where's my socks? And then Vicky will shout up and this has become a bit of a thing in the drawer. They're not, the, the reason I'm shouting is because they're not in the drawer. Anyway, so eventually I'll get the socks and kind of, you know, and go down. And the next thing in my routine is coffee. 
Coffee, yeah, come on. There's another. Anyone else? Coffee, yeah, come on. Cup of coffee. And then normally my, my kind of work routine is that I tend to do the, the, the journey into school with the kids. So the older three anyway, Vicky does the younger ones. So I'll get in the car and the first thing I'll do is I'll put my phone in its holder. In fact, before I do that, I'll get on the sat-nav and I'll check what the route is like because we've come from Witness and if there's traffic on the motorway, I'll go the different way. And then I put the phone in its holder and then talk sport goes on on the, on the radio <laughs> so I can get the sports news. In fact, I missed something out actually before any of this. I have to be honest, the first thing I do when I open my eyes is I to reach for my mobile phone on anyone else do that kind of first thing we do and you know and I'll be honest I, I tend to have a little look at the news I do quite like to keep abreast of the news and, and where we're at and if I'm going to be completely honest it's generally sports news <laughs> that, that I'm more interested in particularly with all this Brexit stuff which is so flipping annoying um Sunday morning, I, I have a particular routine on a Sunday morning. I get up very early on a Sunday morning if I'm preaching. I'll come downstairs. First thing on a Sunday morning is coffee, and, and I'll get that done. And then I'll get into my favorite chair. Depend, now, that changes. There's, it's seasonal. It can be different chairs at different times, depending on what I'm feeling is my favorite chair at the time. And I will get into my favorite chair. I'll get my iPad out, and I'll get that set up. I'll put my earphones in, and I'll get my music on. And depending on, it's always worship music, by the way, I should say that. I'll put my worship music on, and that is me then preparing my message and kind of going through it, going through my notes and just getting it all together. What are your routines? What do you do? What do you do in the morning? What do you do on the drive home? What do you do as you get to the desk and you arrive at the office? Is there a certain thing that you do first? Do you say hello to certain people? Are there people that you speak to and, and what you do? If you spoke to an elite athlete, Eli's in, in, in the building today with us and, and he certainly has trained as an elite athlete and performed as an elite athlete. Eli would tell you that elite, many elite athletes, most if to be quite honest, they have routines before they go onto the field of play or before they start the race, they'll have a routine that they go through. That could be as simple as what they eat. Might be that at a certain time in the morning they eat a certain food because that fits in with their regime. But they have a, 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 a routine that they go through. They'll have things that they do literally before the start of the game. Some of them are superstitious. Some of them, there's certain players that will walk on to the pitch backwards at, at, at Liverpool. They'll touch the This Is Anfield sign on the way down and, and loads of different things. Some players like to be the last player out and if they can't, that's a big issue to them. And, and all of these different things. There's good rituals and there's bad rituals. Not all rituals are good and certainly not all rituals are bad. What are your rituals? Are you even aware of what your rituals are? Do you know? Are you aware of what it is? Or do you just do them on autopilot? So what do you do? It's great talking about kind of what you do in the morning and what you do when you're driving home and stuff like that. But what's your ritual when someone pulls out on you in the car? What's your ritual when the boss gives you a demand that you know is absolutely ridiculous? And he's doing it because he's a numpty and he doesn't know what he's doing. And maybe he's just trying to exert his authority over you. Or maybe I don't know what it is. What's your ritual? Do you complain back? Do you just put your head down and chunner under your breath and moan? Do you turn to the person next to you and have a moan and a complain about them? 
that you get all anxious and think, I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't know how I'm going to cope. What is your ritual? Some of you in here have got some negative rituals going on in your life. Uh, uh, Some of you, when someone embarrasses you, you just go in on yourself. And, and your head goes down and, and you just can't lift it up and, and you suddenly feel all overwhelmed and, and you've just got to stay out the way until no one else is looking at you. Some of you, when someone else embarrasses themselves in your presence, you feel obliged to kind of almost, you feel angry with them because you've been that person in the past and you're only too aware of what it's like to embarrass yourself and make a fool of yourself But someone got angry with you, so now you get angry with others when they do it. Some of you can't make a decision. I know my wife, uh, I I wasn't, I probably should have checked with her before to share this, but she shared this before. She went through a period in her life many years ago where she couldn't make decisions without worrying about what other people would think. One person in particular, all her decisions, she was always constantly thinking, what what will that person think if I do this? What will that person think if I put this outfit on? What will that person think if I go there? What will that person think if I'm friends with this person? Some of you in here today are going through that right now. Your big concerns are, before you even come to make a decision, what will that person think if I do this? What will that person think if I do the other? Some of you, your ritual is to be controlling. Some of you, you can't cope with someone else just going off and doing what they want because that affects you. You, you have to be in control. You're the one that they're anxious about, about making decisions. And you probably don't like it. You probably don't want to be that person. But the rituals, these are patterns of behavior that we all fall into. How do you make your decisions? How do you choose to do things? Have you ever thought about your rituals and and what you do and and all of these different things? Have you always thought, I don't have rituals? Are you the the Christian in the room room that would say, rituals? Whoa, we're New Testament believers. We don't have them. Really? You don't have any rituals? You don't have any things that you do? Any ways that you respond to certain situations? We all do, don't we? Let's be honest about it. There's a story in Isaiah it's really a, a message, but there's a story that's the backdrop to it. And Isaiah speaks to the nation, the nation of Israel in Isaiah 30. And the, the backdrop to this is, this is a nation that had, had been disgraced. Now think about that word for a moment. This nation had been disgraced. So back in the 70s, Great Britain... The United Kingdom, which one is correct? There's, I think we can pick and choose, can't we? But Great Britain found themselves in a similar situation to Israel at the time. Great Britain was in a financial crisis in the late 70s, such that Britain had to turn to the IMF, that's the International Monetary Fund, with a begging bowl to come and to bail Britain out because we were in a financial mess. There was, some of you can remember this, there were strikes, there were blackouts. Was anyone affected by that or at least hear about the blackouts this week? 
couple of days ago. I mean, about half of the country was literally in blackout. I mean, I don't know about you, we've had a few recently, which is really unusual. My brother's over and he's only been to, to the UK a couple of times and he's like, oh, is this normal, like blackouts in the... I'm like, no. It must have happened about three or four times in my entire life. It seems to be happening more and more at the moment. But Britain was in a, a, a period, it was just in an absolute mess. And on the news were, were pictures and images of IMF inspectors going round London. Because Britain had to go with a begging bowl. And Israel found themselves in this situation. They were in a mess. They couldn't, they couldn't get themselves out of the situation that they were in. And Isaiah spoke to them. He spoke to them from the words of God. This was a nation that had been so, so prosperous. They were a proud nation. Under the reign of, of, of David, this nation had grown to be the greatest nation on the planet. The Queen of Sheba had come. She still talked about to this day, the Queen, who do you think you are? The Queen of Sheba. Anyone heard that phrase at home? Yeah, the Queen of Sheba. I, I never knew what it meant because I didn't grow up in a Christian home until I read the Bible and heard who this woman was. I just thought she was just some person, the Queen of Sheba. All right, okay. Didn't have a clue who she was. The Queen of Sheba had come to see Israel and its riches. It was so mighty and powerful. But this nation had been disgraced. They were suddenly disgraced. And if you think about what that word means to be disgraced, we think of it as humiliation. We think of it as shame, don't we, to be disgraced. But actually when you really think about the, the meaning of the word and the root of the word, if you are disempowered or dismembered, you've had something removed, taken from you. You've lost something. To be disgraced is to fall from grace. Israel had lost her grace. She was in a position where she couldn't rely on, or so she thought, the grace of God. It had fallen from her, and she didn't know what to do. And Isaiah speaks to them right in the middle of this situation, right in the middle of this disgrace, right in the middle of Israel's shame. And they were rightly disgraced. They turned from God, this nation that had made so many vows that God is our king, we are for him, he is our number one. And they turned from him. They despised his word. They said, we don't want to have anything to do with your word. The people who did even speak about his word were twisting it and turning it into things that they wanted to suit themselves. You name it, this was a disgraced nation. They'd uh, become an offence to God. And in verse 19 of Isaiah 30, God says to them, through the prophet Isaiah, he says these words, if you cry to me for help, you will find it. Yeah. Right in the middle of Israel's disgrace, God says to them, if you cry to me for help, you will find it. A disgraced nation who'd slapped God in the face, who turned from him, who said, we don't need you anymore, and we're even going to twist your ways. God graciously says to them, if you turn to me for help, you'll find it. You will find it. 
You know, the youth stood up here, didn't they? And, and Vicky said they were talking about what God had done for them. They spoke of what God had done for them. I think this is one of the most incredible things that God could do for any of us. It says in the New Testament that the law came through Moses, but grace and mercy came through Jesus Christ. This is Christ, right there in the Old Testament. In verse 21, he says this, he says, you will hear his voice, I'm paraphrasing this, he says, you'll hear my voice behind you. If you veer to the left, if you veer to the left, or your left, or if you veer to the right, you'll hear my voice behind you. When my eldest three were little, so Sophie, uh, I remember when the boys were toddlers, twin boys we've got, and when they were around about two, and you know that, that age where you're having to hold the hand wherever you're going, because if you let go, they just shoot off. And so I only had two hands if I was ever out with the three of them on my own. I only had two hands. I've got two boys who are two years old and want to run off in all kinds of directions in, with traffic and in crowds and stuff like that. And I have, I have memories of walking through crowds in the town centre in Warrington with a boy in each hand. And Sophie, the way I had to do it was I'd have to put Sophie in front of me. She would have to walk. She was only, uh, she would have been about four and a half at the time. So she would have to walk in front, and she wasn't much older than a toddler at this point. She wasn't even in, or maybe just starting school. She'd have to walk in front with me behind her in the middle of a crowd while I had hold of the two boys, one in each hand. And what would happen is typically we'd be walking along, and, and we'd be like, we're going in this direction. And Sophie would start heading off in that direction. And then we'd, McDonald's would be on the, on the right-hand side, and she'd see that, and she'd start going, oh, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? And I'd be right behind, it, behind and they'd be saying, Sophie, we're not going to McDonald's, keep going straight on. Don't look to the right, keep going straight on. And she'd, she'd have to trust me completely because she couldn't see me. I physically couldn't hold her hand at the time because I only had two hands. So she had to walk in front, looking forward, not being able to see me. And I have memories of going through like really big crowds. And, I, and, and what I'd have to do is I'd speak to her constantly. I'd be, keep going, Sophie, I'm right behind you. Don't worry, darling, I'm right behind you. Just keep going forward. And there'd be this dialogue. I'd just be saying to her constantly, talking to her, saying, Sophie, I'm right behind you, just keep going. And if she went to turn around, I'd go, no, it's okay, I'm here, just keep on going. And if she'd start to veer off to the left because she'd seen the toy shop, I'd be like, no, we're not going there. We're going to go straight on, keep going straight on. That's what God's saying here, isn't he? And, and the message... I, I want to talk about three points, three rituals, positive rituals that we can have that would help us in our life. But before I even get to any kind of teaching or anything like that, the grace of God yeah. right there. In the midst of your disgrace, if you think you're in a mess, if you think you're, you've got troubles and problems in your life, let me tell you, right in the middle, right in the middle, right in the center when you've fallen from grace and you're feeling like you don't deserve anything from God, he says, if you call to me, I'll answer you and you'll hear me. I'll be right behind you. 
talking to you, whispering in your ear, that constant, constant voice. I've heard other preachers talk about, uh, use the metaphor, the analogy of, of, of these things. This, this is a belt pack, so you can hear me because this thing is transmitting radio waves. And it's going off to a receiver up there and then there's wires and all that kind of stuff going on. But this isn't the only belt pack. In, uh, this is, oh, sorry, these aren't the only radio waves in this room. Uh, hands up, have you got a mobile phone on you? I mean, there's a whole load of radio waves right there, all in this room. If we had eyes to see them, if we could see that spectrum, you would just see radio waves everywhere. All, they would look like colours. They would look like colours, a multitude of colours, rays of light all the way through the room, emanating in, in, in like ripples from a pond all over the place. But the thing about this belt pack is that that receiver there has to be tuned in to this. If it's not tuned into that specific digital frequency, it won't pick it up. And you won't hear me. You'll hear someone's conversation on a, ro- on a mobile phone. <laughs> And if you ever, if you're thinking, you sat there and you're thinking, yeah, but Barry, I, I don't hear God's voice constantly talking to me, telling me over and over what I should be doing. Maybe you're not tuned in. Maybe you're tuned into your mobile phone. Maybe you're tuned into all the adverts we're being bombarded with of how your life should be what you should be doing with your life, where you should be, what clothes you should be wearing, how much money you should be earning, what qualifications you should have, where you should be on your career progress at the moment. All of these different things and so, so many more. Maybe you're tuned into all of that. Maybe that's the thing that's motivating and driving your decisions and those signals are so strong, you're tuned into them that God's signals can't get through. And, and really, I, I would argue with myself that that's maybe not quite doctrinally correct, that God's signals can't get through. Because God's signals can always get through. He will wake you up. He will speak to you. He will get your attention. He just won't force you to react and to respond. That bit is your choice. Your response to God getting your attention, to waking you up, to shaking you, is your choice. Is your choice. God will tap you on the shoulder. He will shout at you. He will send all kinds of things to you to get your attention, to get you listening. But what you do with that is your choice. And I would suggest that some of it is down to our rituals, what we do, what are we doing, how are we live in our life, what are the things we're doing that we're not even thinking about. So I want to give you three, four in fact, no four, I should have checked my notes, shouldn't I, before I got up, it was four that I came up with. I want to give you four, four rituals that I think can help you, that I think are positive rituals, that I think can can help us to, to f- tune into God and, it, and be stronger in our lives, stronger in our faith. The first one, if you, if you want to write this down, it might be a good thing to do. The first one, I, I was really thinking, what is the, uh, like, like, 
okay, I, I had number two, I thought that's the first one, and I'm like, number two isn't the first one. There's one before that. There's one you've got to do before that. And I think the very first thing we've got to do, and, and in fact, let me give you a little preamble. I'm not just talking about kind of what you do in the morning here. I'm on about what happens when that phone call calls and it's bad news. I'm on about when suddenly the, there's no money in the bank and you've got a bill you've got to pay. I'm on about when someone calls you up and they want to have a moan at you or they want to criticise you. Or I'm on about that situation where suddenly you've got a job prospect and you're going for it and you're like, what do I do? What's my routine? And the first thing in all of these things, the very first thing, I think the most important thing, it's the response to God getting your attention. Think about this for a moment. There's two things when God gets your attention. I believe God gets your attention. You could, you could say there's more, but I, I come up with two. I didn't try that hard to come up with any more, but there's two I've come up with, and I think these are pretty good ones. The first one is feelings. Depressed. Elated. That worship, I, I, I'm there in that worship. I'm just like, that's incredible. A couple of weeks ago, we were in, in the O2 Arena in, in London at a, a worship conference, 20,000 people, and I stood there and I thought, this is as good. It, it, it's literally as good. It's as good. And, and why is it as good? Because it's not about the amount of people or, or, or the, you know, the, the money that's been spent on it or the, the quality of the musicians or singers or any of these things. It's about the meaning. And for me, the meaning of this was, this is our worship. This is ours. When I'm at the O2, the O2, it was incredible. I loved it. It was, it was absolutely awesome. I'm not bringing that down. That was incredible. But that wasn't ours. That didn't kind of like belong to us. This is ours. This is our home. God has created it that we have a local church that we go to where we have a community and friendships and, and genuine deep relationships. What do we do when, when God gets our attention? And the first thing, number one, stop. 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 Stop all the dialogue. All the voices going on in the head. That internal dialogue. Oh no, not this again. Oh, this is it now. I knew this was going to happen. Oh, and this means this and this means that and this means the other. Stop. Stop. Head goes down. Oh, no. stop. Stop. Picking up the phone, complaining and moaning and, and worrying and anxious and all this. Deep breathing. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? Stop. Stop. You got to stop. You got to stop the natural response that isn't the faith response. You have to stop that first. You see, the two things that God will use to get your attention are feelings. Number one, feelings. That feeling of joy. This worship is incredible. Stop. God, what are you saying to me? What, what, what are you saying to me? Because I'm not just here to enjoy it. I'm not just here to be like, oh, wow, this worship's incredible. Wow. I'm like, okay, God, what's the meaning? 
Where do we go with this? Is this just about just this moment? You just want to be glorified and praised and honored. If that's it, God, I'll do that. I'll sing, I'll sing loud. I'll do all that. Is, is it that you want me to be joyful? Is it that you're trying to tell me something? What is it, God? When the bad news comes and the internal dialogue and, and suddenly I'm, I'm feeling sick in my stomach, stop. What's the meaning of the anxiety? I'm trying to get my attention trying to get my attention stop we have to stop first we have to stop and the second way that God will get our attention is circumstances a situation lost my notes then it'll be a situation a situation you're facing you have to stop you have to stop you have to stop when you see the situation, when you see it, you ha- and that could be just for a moment. But we have to stop and we have to have a pattern of behavior that is faith. A pattern of behavior that is, is going to help us, that is going to benefit us. Because so many times the patterns we fall into responding to these situations doesn't help us. It's disastrous. Second one, or when you stop, I mean, there's lots of things you can do when you stop. Take a breath. Do you know the Hebrew word for for breath is the same as the word for spirit? I'm just breathing in your spirit. Breathing in your spirit right now. The new age people want to kind of hijack it, don't they? And call it all this stuff and, and all of that, but actually God was there right there at the beginning. When he breathed the breath of God into Adam, that was the moment he came alive. In that moment, in that very, very moment. And the second thing, after you've stopped, because it's great to stop, but if you try and stop for too long and just sit there and do nothing, it'll all come back over you. You can't just stop, can you, and do nothing. So the second thing is pray. I know it's obvious. I know that's like not rocket science, is it? That's not like, wow, that, I have never heard that preached before. Pray. Wow, that is incredible. But pray. 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 Pray to God. It doesn't matter where you are, you can pray. You can pray in your head. You can, if you don't know what to pray, you can pray. It just groans and mutterings to God. He understands them. He, he, he gets your groans. He, he knows it. You know, like when you're a parent and, and that chunner that comes from your son or your daughter, and, and like you just know exactly what that means. You know what that means. You know what that face means. You know all of it. You, you know exactly what it means. Pray. I would suggest asking God this. The, the circumstance, so there's two things. It could be a circumstance or it could be a feeling, okay? The circumstance, the situation. Uh, ask yourself this. this is, I think this is a brilliant, brilliant uh, kind of question to ask yourself. It's quite relevant, this. Is it the climate or is it the weather? Think about this. Is it the climate, the circumstances at the moment, or is it the weather? Because if it's the weather... 
It's a storm maybe. Normally when this stuff goes on, it's a storm that's coming. If it's the weather, right, then there's no storm that's come that hasn't passed. Storms are temporary. So it could just be as simple as riding out the storm because it's the weather. And you'll know it's the weather because this wasn't there last week or six months ago. Whereas if it was there last week and six months ago and six years ago and ten years ago and as far back as you can remember, certainly for a long period of time, maybe not all of your life, but certainly in recent history, then I would argue that's the climate. And what you've got going on there is what we're all facing, climate change. You've got some climate change that's gone on in your life. Now, if it's climate change, that's different. You've got to deal with that. If we all just ignore climate change, well, actually, I, I, I would argue maybe for us in the UK, it's not such a bad thing. It's getting hotter, isn't it? I love the heat, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, I know. Don't shoot me. Don't, don't, don't tell me off. <sighs> One man's hot weather is another man's drought, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? One man prays for rain, another man prays for sun. <laughs> One woman's praying that the, 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 the rain will come down to water the garden because she's just planted some lovely flowers. Another woman's praying for dry weather because she's getting married today. Which one does God answer? <laughs> if it's the weather, then pray and ask God how to deal with this weather. Do we just ride out this storm? Is there something I need to do? Do I need to batten down the hatches? Do we need to shut the doors and just hunker down for a few days? And what is it I need to do, Lord? Ask him. Ask him. He says, when you come and ask me, in the middle of that, of your distress, in the middle of your disgrace, in the middle of your dis, whatever you want to put on the end of it, your disempowerment, you're disjobbed because you've just lost it. Whatever it is, in the middle of that situation, God says, if you turn to me and pray to me, I will answer you. Right there, right then. Tune in. Tune in to the frequency and you'll hear him. He's trying to get your attention. He's speaking to you. He's trying to get your attention. He will use circumstances to do that. It's just that sometimes we're like the frog and when it's climate change, it's been getting hot and hot and hot and hot and hot and we've just been sat there while it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter until suddenly we're like, I'm dying in this heat. I'm actually dying. Because if this heat had happened in a moment, I'd have jumped straight out. But it's been happening slowly over time and it's climate change and suddenly now I'm, I'm sweltering and I'm dying. God is trying to motivate you Number one, to pray to him. And when you pray to him, what do you pray? What do you ask him? Sometimes you don't know. There's one thing you can always ask him. There's, one, there's just one simple question. One question above all other questions. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do we do in this situation, Lord? We, we faced two situations recently, or me, me, me and Vicky, me personally in one of them, me and Vicky in another one. One was a situation where we were going into a meeting and 
We'd done a meeting a, f- a month or two earlier and I'd really prepared for this meeting. I had put untold hours, weeks of preparation into this meeting so I knew exactly how I was handling, exactly what I was going to say. You name it, I'd done all of that. And, and, and the meeting was a great success. I felt that God wanted me to do that. I felt that that was my job to do. I'd prayed and I felt, no, I need to prepare for this and I need to, to do the hard work and get it right and go in there, you know, all, all sorted, done everything I can and then just trust God in the meeting and that worked and that was fantastic the meeting a couple of days ago we went into I'm like I don't know I, 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 I can't I, I don't feel anything I can prepare for this meeting and so we just sat in the car and we just said Lord we just pray we just we just give it all to you just sit back and just trust you in this meeting and the meeting was just as much of a success as the one a few weeks earlier it's knowing which isn't it who is it? Whose who's, who's response is this situation? Is God motivating you to take action or is he motivating you to stop and trust him? What does God want? What should you do? So number one, stop. Number two, pray. Ask God, what is it you want me to do? Do you want me to just stop and trust you, God? Do you want me to act? Is this the climate or is it just the weather? Lord, what do I do? Number three, there's kind of two parts to this. First one is bow. First one is bow. Put your head down. Put your head down. Maybe even put your knees down. Bow. Bow before the King of Kings. Bow before God. Humble yourself before Him. Humble yourself before Him. It says in the Bible, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Put your head down. Put your head down. I think there's a reason why we put our head down to pray. Do we think we should always put our head down to pray? No. I think there's times when God wants us to lift our head. And that's the second part to number three. When you put your head down, when you've bowed, then lift your head up. Lift your head up because God says he is the lifter of your head. And when God is the one who's lifting your head up, then it's not pride. Then it's you responding in strength and in faith, in in the strength and the power of God to face the situation. Put your head down first. And then when you put your head down and you pray, lift up your head. Do not keep it down. Lift your head up. And most of all, allow God to lift it up for you. He desires to. If you've bowed your head properly in the first place, I promise you, he won't leave it there forever. He'll lift it up. He has to. He's promised you. He's promised you that he gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. So he has to. He's bound by his own word. And God is a man of his word. Bow before God and then lift up your head. Psalm 27 verse 6 says, He will lift your head high above your enemies. Matthew 23 12 says, Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you will humble yourself before God, He will lift up your head. 
It's the, it's the greatest place to be. You know, you're facing a situation, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, whether it's something that you're kind of excited, nervous about, like a, a, an opportunity, or whether it's something that you've petrified, uh, you know, nervous about. Either way, the, the, I find, personally, I find the greatest place, and I tend to go and find a place on my own out the way and shut the door, prayer closet kind of thing, as it talks about in Matthew 6, and I just go on my own, and my head goes down, and when my head goes down, wow, wow, is it a great place to be. Wow, is it a great place to be. Head down, wow, it's an incredible place to be. It's a place of mercy. It's a, it's a safe place. It's a, it's a haven. Psychologists will, will tell you, if you went to see a, a, an expert psychologist, uh, you know, and could say you were a CEO of a top country, uh, company, and you went there for the best training, the best help you could get to be the best you, you could possibly be, do you know that you shouldn't just go and get help when things are bad, but you want to get help when things are good as well? They, they would tell you, they would tell you that you need a haven. Non-Christian counsellors, motivational coaches, all of these things, they would tell you that you need a haven. You need a safe place. And God says, come and shelter under the shadow of my wings. Went quite scouse then, didn't I? Under the shadow of my wings. Come and shelter under the shadow of my wings and you will find strength and grace and mercy. He says, the, he is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and they are safe. God is your safe place. Do you use him for that? He wants you to. He wants you to, him to be your first port of call. Matthew 6, he says, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're feeling overwhelmed like it's all too much, someone was saying to me recently, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can get overwhelmed. There's that much to do, that much going on, that many things to think about. And God just says over and over again, just come to me. When you're feeling overwhelmed, just come to me. I, I, I'm not putting too much stuff on you. I don't give you more than you can cope with. I don't give you more than you can do. You know, when you think, I can, I'm only one person. I can only do one thing at a time, but I'm being, I feel like I've got to do 10. God's like, no, I'm not asking you to do 10. I'm not giving you stuff that you can't do. I'm not giving you stuff that you can't do. Are you praying and asking him, God, what should I be doing? Because when you pray and you know what you should be doing, all the other nine things suddenly are irrelevant. Can't deal with them anyway. Can't do them anyway, can you? So deal with the one that God says he wants you to do. Do the thing that he wants you to do. And the, the last one, the fourth one, and we'll, we'll round it up here, is because all of this is great. But in fact, let me read you the verse. Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, says, And it is impossible. Everyone say, impossible. Don't you hate it when preachers do that? I hate it when preachers do that. <laughs> And it is impossible, right? So what, what it's about to say is impossible. You can't do it. 
You cannot do it. It's impossible. God says this. It is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. No matter what you do, you cannot please God without faith. It's impossible. Everyone say impossible. (laughs) Thank you. I know I'm taking liberties. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe. You could kind of just stop there, couldn't you? Must believe. Must believe what? Must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So number one, you've got to believe in him. No point in coming to him because like, hey, this might work. Someone said praying to God works. Well, I'll try that. How do you do it? Well, you get down on your knees and you say, our Father who art in heaven, I'll try that and see how that works. That ain't going to work. You've got to believe. Faith has an element of belief. Faith has an element of hearing. And faith has an element of acting. All of those things are are right there in the Word of God. He says, anyone who wants to come to him to please him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And you're saying to me, well, that's okay, Barry. The first one's really easy. I come to church every Sunday. I believe God exists every time, every time you're praying. Or you're sometimes kind of in that moment of doubt and you're like, oh man, is God really real? I'm like, I'm, I'm really struggling here because like this situation don't seem to be changing. Is he really, really there? Number one, stop. When those thoughts come and the doubts come, stop. 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 Pray. Bow your head. Come to him expecting come to him in belief in that moment in that brief moment of stop tune into him listen to him hear from him reconnect with him before you pray reconnect with him get back in that moment where you, you you're just back to even if it's just for uh, 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 the twinkling of an eye moment God says we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. You can be healed in the twinkling of an eye. You can see a miracle in your situation in the twinkling of an eye. Jacob saw Esau, who was coming to attack him, come and bless him in the twinkling of an eye. God can do anything in the twinkling of an eye. Stop. Number four is come to him believing, expectant, believing that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What good are the other three if you don't believe he's going to answer your prayers and help you? What good? What good is it praying and with your head down and then lifting your head up ready, ready for the fight, going in there expecting to lose, going in there expecting to be defeated, going in there expecting to fail? No, God says, believe, expect God to ask, expect him to answer your prayers. He will do. Amen. Thank you. Let's do it.